Hello and welcome to the highlight of your Monday morning commute, run, or random time with nothing better to do. <laughs> oh man, that is indeed time for PB with Jays. And I'm Joseph. I'm Jacob, the other host of this fine show. And wherever you are, on your iPhone, on your computer, on your who knows what. I think those are like the only, what, what else do people listen? Well, people have other phones than iPhones, but. It's true. Yeah. The problem is we have not yet learned how to upload our podcast onto other servers, but you can download it on our website. So theoretically, an Android user could be listening right now. And if you are listening, our fine Android user, we welcome you to our podcast on this wonderful evening when we're recording. You're like here with us because there's only probably one of you because there's only two people who listen to the podcast. Probably. Well, if you're counting me as one, it's... I, <laughs> I think I'm counting myself <laughs> as the others. <laughs> oh, man. No, I think Momo definitely listens. She posted yeah. on, on, our, on our page, on our Facebook page. She's one of our active participants yeah she like, texted hey, me. listen to this really yeah she said well she checked on to see how the job was going and then she was like by the way i've really enjoyed your podcast that's awesome <laughs> my mom on the other hand thought that when i told her we were recording today and she's like oh are you recording the third episode <laughs> <laughs> oh boy wow that's way off because by this point like it's obvious that we recorded many of these a little while ago because we were trying to kind of prepare for the summer and who knows what. So, like, maybe if we had, like, posted episode two, your mom would have would have said, hey, you guys are recording three? We've already posted episode five. So she's a little behind on that one. She didn't know how to use Apple Podcasts. She was waiting for it to come on Facebook and she uh. missed it or didn't see it or... I think, yeah, I'm, I'm behind on uh, our Facebook posts, so we'll have to do that. I always get, I like forget at work, and then I just don't end up doing it. Yeah, you're too busy running triathlons. I did another one of those recently. Yeah. I guess that was two days ago. Yeah, we both had recent incredibly athletic achievements. Joseph <laughs> ran a triathlon in one hour and 19 minutes, and I was the captain of <laughs> my uh, the tax department's second bowling team. Uh, we rolled pretty well, probably. I don't know how everyone else scored, but I assume we did well. I, I'm pretty sure you won the championship of the Houston greater area. Probably. It was fun. It, it was, it it was fun. fun. That was part of your glorious week that you had last week, of which I am remarkably jealous. Yeah. <laughs> it was an employee appreciation week, so we got lots of fun stuff. Oh, man crazy but it's pretty awesome though i i have to admit i really love where i work yeah it's just been a good yeah good company treats employees extraordinarily well um so now now guess what time it is um i don't know i got nothing it's well no it's not science time yet but because we got Fun fact slash life yes. lesson slash did words we, of encouragement. I don't know if we did a fun fact on the last one. Or it was like a somewhat of a fun fact about astronauts or something. That's a sneak peek oh. coming up. <laughs> I don't remember. But I'm ready for like a good, hearty, like juicy fun fact. I don't know if this is much of a fun fact, but it, it is good. It's a good sentence. All right. I'm ready that for a good sentence. One of the wisest people I know wrote to me. Uh, he said, I learned long ago. If you have an active brain, you never get bored. 
This is true. So, if you're here with us, hopefully your brain is being active, and you're also simultaneously learning about the thing that is being active within you. So, That's double in, points. like Inception. So Learning within learning within learning. Yeah, he... Yeah, it seems like a, a wise <laughs> sentence. Very simple, but... I like it. Dropping yeah. some bombs of philosophy on us today. All right. Well, now, now I think it is science time. That works. We're gonna jump in. Uh, Where do you want to jump in? Well, let's start with the title. Let's do it. <laughs> Multiple system atrophy. That is the title indeed. Which, if you kind of just generally know medical terms, you've probably heard of atrophy. We've um, used that a few times. I think we have too. Yeah. It's a pretty broad word that describes kind of just general deterioration is kind of the idea that comes to mind. So when it says multiple system atrophy, this description of a disease is extremely broad. So so we have the wasting away as a result of degeneration of cells in multiple systems. Exactly. So like, what does that even mean? That's <laughs> a... I don't know. It's a, it's a very fair question, I think. So when I saw this one as a neurological topic, I was pretty intrigued, A, because I had never actually heard of it before. So it was a cool thing to kind of learn about. Um, and B, because it did sound just so general, I was kind of curious, what could this actually be if it's just the atrophy of multiple systems? And at the end of the day, that's, that's exactly what it is. It's the atrophy of multiple systems. Correct. And, and if we want to get into a more science-y uh, definition, good friends at the National Institute of Neurological Disorders and Stroke, that's where most of anything that I'll be saying comes from there. Um, they have a great archive of, of info there. If you guys are ever curious or if we mess up something and you're like, I thought it was this, they have a, they have a great archive at the, I think it's NINDS is the acronym? N-I-N-D-S. Okay. Yeah. I believe that's correct. Yeah. Um, they say multiple system atrophy. Uh, or MSA, is a... Yeah, we'll probably say MSA from here. It's a little bit quicker. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is a progressive neurodegenerative disorder characterized by a combination of symptoms that affect both the autonomic... Autonomic? Autonomic. You, autonomic. Sorry, man. Autonomic one, nervous man. system and movement. Uh, and we've talked about the autonomic nervous system before. Yep. Uh, it's like the part that controls all of our involuntary type yeah, actions. That's a good way to describe it. Um, breathing and blinking and heartbeat and all that kind of good stuff cool <laughs> <laughs> got anything else uh, well that that's kind of the definition i, yeah. I can um so basically and then can i kind of flesh that out a little, little bit more basically nerve cells die uh in the brain and the spinal cord they atrophy yeah um, so and those are the central nervous system the brain and spinal cord um and so just to kind of get into more of the general general stuff, um, in terms of timing, uh, you'll see the symptoms begin typically uh, in age of 50 or so, um, 50 mm -hmm. years old, and it progresses over about five to 10 year period. Yep. Um, they even, so I was reading and they, they said that one of the, the ways of kind of crossing off MSA as a potential diagnosis is if it if these symptoms start to manifest themselves after age 70. So the, the range is pretty specific that if it's, if it's later in life, it's not really considered uh, MSA or falls under that 
topic of, of diseases. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. It's kind of interesting. Yeah, and then and then once it can, uh, once it progresses, it can really uh, limit what you're able to do quite a bit. Like it, you eventually become confined to your bed in a lot of cases. Yeah. Um, yeah. Did you read? So I think somewhere on the link, I had. I had this story from some random person in Belgium, um, but I thought it was super insightful kind of to see what the patient thinks and, and feels as they go through the development and progression of this disease. And I don't know. Did you get a chance to read no, that at all? No, okay. I didn't read through that story. It was cool. Um, it was cool in so far as it was, it was useful to, I guess, see the emotion behind it. Um, cause there, there are a lot of components of this progression that we don't really understand. And, and because of that diagnosis for MSA is, is really complicated and often not caught originally. And, and so people kind of go through this physical progression, kind of like you, you just mentioned, um, that progresses over time. But they also go through this emotional progression of just frustration. And then the, this one was good about including um, the partner story as well. And um, it was a, a man and his wife. And um, the man was just frustrated that he had no answers. And, and the wife was frustrated that they had no answers, but also that she felt like she couldn't do anything. And I guess the, the point of all of this is uh, there, there's, I think you mentioned that it sort of progresses over time and, and gradually. And um, that it's more than just like a physical progression of a debilitating disease. There's a lot of other factors specifically with, with this disease because it's not very well researched and, and um, not super well understood the sort of the real molecular pathology of it. Like you, you've kind of mentioned cells dying and particular regions. We'll get into a little bit of that with, with the anatomy of what's affected. But man, it's, uh, I don't know, it was useful to read. And it's the kind of thing that I, I kind of always try to go back to and, and remind myself of as an aspiring doctor one day that, you know, these are these are patients with stories and families and emotions. And I know we've mentioned that before on different episodes, but it's not just a disease that's kind of like a, a puzzle to be solved. It's, it's people's lives. And uh, I don't know, it's important. And I think that was a useful story to read through just because, man, it was... It was short, but it was moving um, that we really don't know a lot about how to, to treat MSA. Um, but like you said, I think tied back to where we started with this was about the progression, how it uh, progresses gradually. But yeah, I'll anyway. tell you this. I, I will read this story uh, and I think it'd also be helpful. Let's we'll be putting this putting a link or something. It'll be on our website, right? Yeah, we can do that. Yeah, um, yeah. We can include the story on there. Um, so. If y'all would like to it's read short, about it, so um, I would definitely say go read it. Yeah, it it uh, sounds like it'd be helpful. Um, yeah. So yeah, I think it's pretty insightful. Cool. But anyway, you were saying. Um. Yeah, and then in terms of treatment, I mean, like you said, there's yeah. not as much research, so there's really not much treatment. You can kind of treat some symptoms, but there's no cure. There's no way to really treat the disease. It's hard because we'll we'll kind of get into this a little bit too, but a lot of initial diagnosis uh, and sort of theories and, and things and thoughts from from doctors is usually parkinson's and there's a lot of crossover especially molecularly with this alpha synuclein protein we'll talk about that too but we found or, or it has been found that when you treat 
these patients with sort of the standard Parkinson's treatment, which is L-DOPA. Um, there are other dopamine modifications that you use as treatment, but L-DOPA is sort of the main treatment. It doesn't actually do anything for the patients. And that's what that's what gets really confusing sometimes. And that this story kind of mentioned that, um, that one of the steps was that he would just, he took L-DOPA for months and it did nothing. And that the longer he would take this medicine, the more frustrated he would become and convinced that he didn't have what the doctors thought he had. So yeah, hmm. treatment. It's a, uh, I think it goes back to diagnosis too. It's, we don't diagnose it very well. And we can't treat it very well. It's just, it's a, uh, I don't know. It's not a good situation, I guess. All right. Um, the, I don't know if it's good news. The less bad news though, is that yeah. it, it's, it's pretty rare. Yeah. It's very uh, it's rare. It's not a common thing. It, it affects about 0.01% yeah. of, of Americans. Um, Definitely a small number. And I think that's probably the, the biggest contributing factor to the lack of research on, on the topic, at least relative to other diseases. Uh, it's, I don't know. It's sad, but that's kind of how research funding works a lot of times. If there's a demand for the research, there's there's often funding for it. I think the recent like Ebola and Zika outbreaks are kind of good examples that there was not really much research into those. There was there was some here and there. It was hard to uh, obtain grant funding for those. But man, once those once those outbreaks hit, there was research all over the place. And what sucked was that after the the fact, um, after we started discovering things both of them kind of died out but that's not the case with msa you know it's it's not just a, a quick fad um so it's one of those researches that that could really benefit from from a targeted research effort but i don't know if it'll come because funding is tough but anyway yeah, yeah. i think a big reason is because there's just not a lot of not a lot of people with it but anyway yeah. well let's um Let's run through some symptoms real quick, and then we can get into cool. science. Let's do it. Um, so some symptoms, there'll be issues with heart rate, uh, issues with muscle control and movement. Yeah. Um, feeling of weakness, um, quivering speech. It's another all, thing. All those kind of like small modulatory autonomic things that you just don't think about. You know, speech, mm-hmm. heartbeat, muscle coordination. Yeah. And it, it can even get, if it might feel lightheaded. Um, bladder difficulties, issues with joints, um, and even issues with posture, things like that, uh, can yeah. be affected. I know, uh, after a long time too, respiration is often pretty heavily affected. Your, your breathing is much more difficult and you can't contract and expand your diaphragm, but yeah, man, lots of just kind of nasty symptoms. And the, the thing is each of them in and of themselves is kind of a, I don't know, mostly treatable or, or somewhat minor, you know, like fluctuations in your heartbeat can happen. It's it's, it's fairly common um, in patients, but it's one thing isolated. You can usually kind of deal with it. You know, joint pain, often you can kind of deal with it um, both medically and personally. But when all of these are together, it really takes a toll on someone's lifestyle. And then the, the compounding factor is that all of these things just progress too. And um, I don't know. It's a it's a really sad disease. I think I think you know we we talked about Huntington's recently. Um, Huntington's is historically kind of a, a nastier disease. It, it also attacks a lot of your your brain capacity um, and your you know higher order thinking. MSA doesn't really do that. It hasn't been shown to do that. It, it more attacks that sort of hindbrain area, so it affects more of your movement. Um, 
But I think there there's like a, a glimmer of hope with Huntington's because there's a lot of research and a lot of funding being poured into it that doesn't really exist with MSA. So it's it's a harder harder disease to deal with, I guess, in that sense, um, societally, because because Huntington's is, is really terrible as well. But um, but societally speaking, it's I don't know what doctors do. I would really love to sort of hear from a doctor's perspective, um, you know, someone who's had a patient with MSA. Because, yeah, the story, like I said, the story was really helpful to kind of hear from a patient's perspective. But I'm curious what a doctor would think or feel in those moments. Because it, it seems like it would just feel kind of hopeless, um, which sucks. That's never, never yeah. a description you want to have for disease or, or science. But, yeah, um, but so with that, let's kind of jump into what we do know. We keep saying there's not as much research as there are in a lot of other diseases because of probably because of the, the lack of sheer volume. But let's jump into what we do know, because the things that we know are pretty well described and well defined. The problem is we don't exactly know how they get there and we don't exactly know what to do when they are there. Um yeah, so I think the, the good place to start with sort of how it works scientifically is a little bit of neuroanatomy on some descriptions, because I think this gives us an idea of what's going on. I don't know, how much did you find on this, on sort of the anatomical regions that are affected? Um, not, a, I, this is not where I will be um, <laughs> contributing heavily. Fair enough. I wasn't sure if you had looked anything up or not, or but... Um, yeah, there's a lot of regions that are affected. So I think if you look probably in, in the, the NINS database or some other general description of MSA, you'll probably find high brain or, or cerebellum. Do you, do those ring a bell to you from our neuroanatomy session? Oh yeah. We, we've talked about those before. Yeah. Um, so hopefully some of it has been retained. Exactly. Exactly. Oh. So those are sort of the, the big picture descriptions of what areas are being affected. Um, but when you get down to the nitty gritty, they've actually found a lot of smaller areas too. Um, so they have like basal ganglia uh, is affected. The pons is affected in, in many forms. Um, the medulla is affected. So they have all of these like areas in, in that hindbrain region that are affected that work together to, communi to communicate and coordinate all of the autonomic functions we've kind of mentioned. Um, what's interesting to me is that a, a lot of, I don't know, there are a lot of kind of descriptions for MSA that are kind of MSA, kind of something else. And um, one one paper I read, that uh, like a published paper in a, in a scientific journal, was talking about, um, what was it, synucleinopathies or something? I, I don't know if I could pronounce it. Essentially, it is a, a list of diseases that are connected to and or caused by this alpha-synuclein protein. And that's a big one to keep in mind. I think we have a Parkinson's episode at some point lined up for you. And we'll talk more about alpha-synuclein then because it's better understood in the context of Parkinson's. Um, but there are a lot of these synucleinopathies that are associated with MSA. Um, so some, some other names that are associated with it. MSAC is dominant cerebellar, cerebellar sorry, not cerebral, uh, cerebellar features. Uh, MSAP is predominantly Parkinsonian features. Um, there's an autonomic dominant form of, of MSA, which is called uh, Shy Drager. I had to 
be sure I looked up how to pronounce that one because I wasn't quite certain. But um, that's oftentimes those two are used interchangeably, but it's really like a subset. Um, there's also progressive supranuclear palsy, which is uh, one of those synucleinopathies that we talked about. Um, there's one of the original names describing it was olivopontocerebellar atrophy, which is a description of a very specific neuronal subgroup in the uh, in the pons. No, I think it's in the medulla. Um, these olivo oliver nuclear um, you know clusters of neurons, and those are those are atrophying as well. Uh, another one was striatonigral degeneration. This is kind of a crossover with Parkinson's. So there's all these like crazy anatomical descriptions um, that kind of boil down to this. So all your listeners out there who were like, why the heck is he saying all of these crazy names? It's fair. This one sentence is, is kind of the best description that we use frequently for MSA. Um, and that's a Parkinsonian autonomic disorder with cere- cerebellar ataxia and Parkinsonian manifestations. That's a, a quote from one of the scientific journals I was reading and this is sort of the broad description of it. It's it's a type of ataxia, um, which is when you when you lose your ability to have fine motor control, and then has Parkinsonian manifestations. So we've understood this sort of description, this behavioral description of it, since like the early '90s, really. But we have started to get into a lot of the sort of cellular science in the the recent decades after that. Um, so there's two two big things to talk about when we talk about the, the cellular processes of it. And I mentioned alpha-synuclein. That's, that's kind of the big one that's seen. What's interesting to me is that with Parkinson's, we see alpha-synuclein. Um, it's very much associated with Parkinson's and the development of Parkinson's are these clusters of alpha-synuclein proteins, misfolded proteins. Uh, but those, those clusters generally attack neurons, so in Parkinson's, they attack neurons. It's kind of your, your standard thought. Um, that's what, what the general public thinks of when you think of brain cells or neurons. You know, what do, uh, what do neurons have, Jacob? Give them a rundown. Can you do it? Neurons. I believe in you. They're the nerves. They're the nerves. That have axons. Axons, yes. They have spiders. Yeah, dendrites. Dendrites, right. They have synapses. Yes, those are big. That's really big, actually, with alpha-synuclein. And I'll jump into that, too. Yeah, I mean, that's basically a neuron. Axons, you know, dendrites, synapses, they do the communication. What I really love, I kind of mentioned this, I think, in episode one, were glial cells. I think glial cells are the next frontier of neuroscience. Uh, I think we're discovering so much about them all the time. They're amazing. They do so much that we are discovering, and I, I think there's so much more that they do also. Long story short, so in, in Parkinson's, we see this alpha-synuclein misfolding attack neurons. In MSA, we see it attack glial cells. But because we don't really know a lot about glial cells, we don't exactly understand how this happens either. Uh, we have seen, what's, what's interesting is this P25-alpha particle. So it's part of the glial cells that are myelinating neurons. Uh, these are called oligodendrocytes. I know we briefly mentioned those once. Those were one of your favorite words. Yeah, I, I remember think. that one. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, the oligodendrocytes are myelinating these neurons, so it's making them more efficient. And P25-alpha 
is a very important protein in the myelination of neurons. It's, it's shown to what, what we call co-localize with the myelin basic protein, uh, which essentially is a way of saying that they are crucial to the myelination of your neurons, which are crucial to your survival. So this P25-alpha seems to be really important. Problem is, sometimes it, it can misfold, maybe there's a mutation, um, you know, maybe, maybe there's something that's just going wrong with your machinery in the brain, and this, this leads to a sort of localizing with alpha-synuclein. Um, so the, the general description of what happens is this relocation of P25-alpha from the myelin into the oligodendrocytes which then recruits an aberrant or misfolded form of alpha-synuclein, which then leads to these this formation of an insoluble glial cytoplasmic inclusion is what they call it. Um, so the, the first two parts I kind of mentioned, uh, the P25-alpha, uh, it's really involved with this myelination process. And then the second part is recruiting alpha-synuclein. So let's take a brief pause there and talk about what alpha-synuclein does. Um, so alpha-synuclein is kind of a mysterious protein. You know, we've studied a lot in Alzheimer's, or not Alzheimer's, I'm sorry, Parkinson's, and, and seen that um, it's very related. So misfolding is very related to Parkinson's progression. We still don't exactly know what it does, um, but there are some strong theories that it has a lot to do with synaptic health in general. It's seen to be um, in high concentrations on synapses, um, thought to be involved with these specific synaptic proteins that allow for vesicle trans transmission. Um, so it, it seems like a really crucial component of synaptic formation, which we've talked about before is, is a crucial component of neuro, I don't know, neurotransmitter communication, all those things. Um, so we have our, our alpha-synuclein, and that's kind of what it does. And then interacting with this, this P25 protein that's been relocated causes these globs of, of insoluble cytoplasmic inclusions is what they call them. Essentially, it just, it just renders the cell useless. So they, they can't transport things. Um, glial cells, they, they kind of get clogged up is a good way of thinking about it. And when they're clogged up, the, the functioning just degenerates really rapidly and your, your glial cells die out. Um, your glial cells die out, your, your neurons can't survive on their own. Neurons die out and, and this happens in the hindbrain regions of, of the brain. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of the, the process. That's where we are now with science, is that three-step process. So, Jacob, you know what question's coming next. What do I know? <laughs> yes, what is, what is the three-step process? You can break it down a little more simply for us. Um, keep, it, keep it easy, I guess. Yeah, I don't even know if I got them in steps, so here we go. We have these alpha-synuclein proteins, um, and when there are a lot of them, they accumulate. Um, What's the... Why do they accumulate? What's the step before that? They're foldy. There's... Yeah. There's there's one more one more protein that we have. Oh, one more player. The P25 thingy? Yes, that's P25. Cool beans. Yes, which is a... What kind of protein? Or what does it do? You got this. From your favorite types of cells, the oligodendrocytes. All these big words, man. <laughs> All right, so P25 helps with myelination. Okay. Yeah. All right, so then that's step one. P25 is relocated from myelin 
into the oligodendrocytes. And then you mentioned step two. What is that? It's accumulation of the alpha-synuclein proteins. In That's the, the one. In the glial cells. In the glial cells. That's kind of step three is in the glial cells. And then when, they, when that happens, uh, the glial cells aren't able to support the uh, neurons. Yeah. And that is our entire cellular understanding. Not entire, obviously, but... That's, that's where we are, basically. That's sort of the state of the art, state of our understanding of MSA. P25 gets relocated. For some reason, P25 recruits alpha-synuclein. Uh, maybe there's some sort of recruitment or modulation um, that P25 plays in general. I don't really know. So it'd be cool to sort of research that. But then after that recruitment, you get these globs of gunk, basically. And glial cells don't do well with that. And then, uh, and then all the symptoms we talked about and all the brain regions and it's all kind of down, downhill from there, I guess. But yeah, man, that's, uh, that's MSA. You got anything else? No, I don't. don't, (laughs) MSA, multiple system atrophy. You learned some cool ones. I I never heard of this before. So, um, in all my neuroscience classes and textbooks and articles and whatever else, I never heard of. MSA. So there we go. But uh, yeah, if you want to get in contact with us, Facebook, Jacob mentioned earlier, um, definitely go check that out. We're doing better. That still doesn't mean we're doing well because we're both really bad about <laughs> posting things, but it's there. We, we generally post our episodes and some articles and stuff. Um, you can send us an email, peoplewithjays at gmail.com, and definitely go like, uh, subscribe, and share with your friends on Apple Podcasts. Thanks for listening, folks.